Texas talking oh. What was that that you said? Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys Hey everyone, this is uh, State Representative Salia Israel from the Austin area. There's not many people in the Austin area, capital area, these days, so this little freshman is stepping up to the plate to say to all 12 of you, welcome to TribCast with Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the TribCast for the first week of August. I'm joined by Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Reporter Morgan Smith. Hello. And Reporter Patrick Svitek. Hello. Uh, We are without the great Evan Smith this week, who is gallivanting in Denver. Where is he? Colorado? Somewhere in Colorado. Somewhere? Some, you know. Um, still tweeting uh, and texting yeah, apparently Twitter every 30 still works seconds. Up at that height. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Yeah. I know. We were really hoping he'd be out of cell phone reception, alas. Uh, well, let's um, kick off by talking about the big news of the week, which is Attorney General Ken Paxton's um, varied indictments and the hot water he finds himself in up in North Texas. Uh, both, uh, all three of you have written about this. Patrick, do you want to uh, head in and sort of tell us what what he's facing, and you know what the details of this case are starting to look like? Sure. So this indictment um, was apparently secured last week. It was unsealed uh, Monday in Collin County, and um, there are three felony charges. The two of them are, are the most serious. They're first degree felony securities fraud. Um, Broadly speaking, all three of these charges generally deal with him either intentionally or somewhat intentionally misrepresenting himself as, uh, you know, an investment solicitor in interactions with investors and potential investors. Those two more serious charges um, deal with. Um, uh, <laughs> It is a complicated case. Yeah. It's highly technical, um, but it, they do in deal with two complainants. One of them is State Representative Byron Cook, and um, trying to uh, sell or soliciting the sale of uh, stock in this McKinney Tech company called Servergy to these two people. Uh, the other one is a Florida investor by the name of Joel Hochberg, I believe. So, what do we know about? I mean, I'm really interested in this Byron Cook relationship here. I mean, does are we to believe then that he went to authorities and said, you know, well, that's that's one of the pitches that some of the partisans are making in this, and you know, we don't know where the case started. So, uh, we do know that during the last during the 2014 political campaigns, that Dan Branch and Barry Smitherman, who ran against Paxton for the Republican nomination, brought up. Uh, some earlier allegations that had to do with Paxton um, advising his law clients to invest uh, with Fritz Mowry and Mowry Capital Management mm-hmm. uh, to do their finances over there and not telling those clients that he was receiving compensation for doing that and not being licensed to do that with the state securities board. So Paxton said, oops, my bad. Uh, it's a clerical oversight. Went to the securities board, paid a $1,000 fine and basically copped to that. And the voters looked at this, looked at Dan uh, Branch's ads um, alleging this um, and elected Paxton anyhow. Right, said no big deal, we're not worried about this, we don't think it's serious. So you get past the elections, he beat Sam Houston in the general election, Democrat from Houston, and um, the group called uh, Texans for Public Justice here in Austin says, you know, there's more to this, it's not over yet, and tried to get Travis County prosecutors to look at it. They passed. They said this is a local case in Collin or Dallas. Dallas County's DA passed. Collin County's DA looked at it, 
gulped, said, Dan, uh, Ken Paxton is a friend of mine and we do some business together. So he recused himself. A couple of special prosecutors were appointed. They pulled in the deep or the Texas Rangers to investigate. And the Rangers came back with this second set of allegations involving servergy. So there's right. this. They basically said, we think there's something right. more here than we were even asked to look at in the first place. So there's a third degree felony alleged in a an indictment that was handed up on the 7th of July. So a couple of three weeks before the. This is the uh, failure to register. Mm-hmm. Right. And this yeah. is failure to register. Um, Which he had, Paxton had already admitted to um during the primary. Right. So right. the question, the, you know, one of the questions out there is is basically, has he basically already declared himself guilty on that one uh, by paying the fine last year? I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know if it was the, specifically the same case. Exactly. You know, that's for the courts. Right. The second two involved the servergy thing and involved um, him advising, mm-hmm. trying to solicit investments from others, including Byron Cook and this Joel Hochberg guy from Florida. Uh, saying, I'm an investor in this company, you should be an investor too, didn't disclose his relationship with the company and didn't disclose that... Um, that, that he was being compensated That he was to, being compensated with stock and that in. basically constituted his investment. So, you know, as Patrick said, there's a lot of stuff in here when the lawyers start parsing this and saying, well, what was the misrepresentation? Was it in writing? Was it oral? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This will get fuzzier and fuzzier as we go. Mm-hmm. And it's worth, I mean, getting back to the Byron Cook involvement, it's it's worth noting that this is not the first time that Byron Cook and Ken Paxton have invested together, gone in together on a business venture. I mean, um, a couple years back, along with a third state lawmaker, they were they were defrauded by um, a man named Archer Bonamera. I'm not sure if I'm saying it, the last name correctly, but there was a whole controversy over that. It was a tech venture, but... This um, Archer Bonema fellow was um, also leading um, a, a discovery expedition to find Noah's Ark. Um, so it's just kind really? of an interesting, yeah. I wish we could have that kind of excitement. <laughs> I know, I know. You don't really get the, the Noah's Ark uh, in this one. Right. Oh, what a hunt. <laughs> Were they successful? <laughs> Sounds like not yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what has Paxton said so far? I mean, I know I saw just a statement basically saying, you know, yes, I've been quiet for a reason. I want a jury trial. You know, I'm going to be vindicated here. I mean, has what kind of uh, details has, has he... Yeah, there hasn't been much, you know, heated rhetoric from him or, you know, even really any spirited rhetoric from him shortly after the uh, booking. No, no rhetoric. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Zero. I guess no rhetoric. Zero rhetoric. He hasn't yeah. even had a press you know. conference Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, his, his lawyer came out with a statement after a few hours after the booking on Monday said, you know, he's going to plead not guilty. We want a you know, trial by jury. And then yesterday in an email to supporters on his, his campaign email list, I think uh, Paxson put out what I would call his first public remarks on the case. And he simply said, I feel that I'm going to be fully vindicated of these charges. And I think that's the extent to which we've heard from Team Paxton. Um, Although they did the put state, out some, some statements on, on right? yeah, they did. He did put out a statement on Planned Parenthood in the middle oh, of exactly. all, on this all specific of this. matter. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. They're running this complete parallel. The AG's office seems to be running as normal. Right. You know, all, yeah, the, full all the regular speed press releases, all the regular stuff. You know, they're in the there middle. Are a lot of, this. of employees there. There's going to they're going to be involved in the middle of this EPA um, mm-hmm. uh, cross state pollution case. You know. All that stuff, all mm. that machinery is still in motion. I mean, it's sort of what the, what they have to do. But, it, you know, it has been unclear. We've written about this now twice, and it's still not clear to me, which is whether – and not clear to anybody else, I don't think, which is whether Paxton gets to keep his job, you know. If convicted. 
Or, I mean, I think they're both questions. I think yeah. there's, you know. Well, if indicted, sure he can keep his job. You know, right. Kay Bailey Hutchison did when she was treasurer. Rick Perry did when he was governor. Of course. Um, and you're, you know, innocent until proven guilty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, seventh grade civics, right? Right. The question here is whether he can function politically with all this stuff going on. And the pressure point in this, to me, seems to be um, the finances, you know, the you can, in a normal case involving a politician, it involves something that they did as an office holder or accused of doing as an office holder or as a candidate. And in that case, you can use your campaign account. You can raise money from rich people and pay for your lawyers. This doesn't involve anything in his public life. This involves his private life. And it appears to be clear that his campaign accounts are out of bounds for paying for this. Rick Perry, just to give you an idea of this, Rick Perry has spent more than $2 million, I think Patrick reported that a couple weeks yeah, ago. We've, we've tallied more than $2 million, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, these things are expensive. From his campaign account. From his campaign State account. campaign account, yep. So the question is, can Paxton raise money, you know, or can someone raise money for Paxton in a uh, legal defense fund, or does he have to pay this out of his own pocket? And it becomes another pressure point, and, you know, as he makes decisions in this thing. It seems like it would have to be out of his own pocket, wouldn't it? Because this was in his private life, unlike Rick Perry, who There's, was in his, you know, So he can't set up like a... GoFundMe account? Yeah, right. Or <laughs> well, I, talk, I talked to a couple of lawyers about it, and they said, you know, it's clear that the campaign funds, appears to be clear that the campaign funds are out of bounds. The question on the legal defense fund is, if someone starts that, is does it constitute the kind of gift to a public official that can be interpreted to be a bribe? Hmm. And if it does, then you can't Yikes. do it. And if it doesn't, then – and, you know, it looks like there might be room for him to do it. I'm, I'm, you know, it looks like there might be a way to do it uh, legally, whether there's a way to do it politically. I don't, I'm not sure. So when Rick Perry got indicted, I, I recall that you saw other statewide elected officials standing behind him and releasing statements saying that, you know, they were going to be in his corner and that this was preposterous. It's outrageous. You're There's not the seeing whole rally that at the with, courthouse. Yeah, you're right. not seeing that with Ken Paxton. There no, were statements. No custard at Sandy's. <laughs> yeah, right. I think the political context is, a, I mean, it's a fair comparison. Political context is a little different. Rick Perry was a potential presidential candidate then, um, you know, longest serving mm -hmm. governor of Texas. Um, but the political reaction certainly has been more muted to the Paxton case. Tepid, and yeah. I, I guess muted, tepid yeah. Is yeah. The way. You know, there is a legal system, and we are sure it will yeah. work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, essentially, that is play out. Exactly what no, Governor no, Perry, I mean, no, Governor Abbott said yesterday. Joe right. Strauss is on radio silence, not a peep out of that <laughs> not office. Not a peep, and yeah. everybody else is basically putting these, like, two-line statements out that say, yeah, we'll watch the courts. Gee, thanks. So will we. <laughs> right. you know? The Republican the Party the of Texas was a little bit more rah-rah about it. I mean, it talked about what a great guy Ken quoted, Paxton they is. They quoted a spokesman. You know, the chairman <laughs> of the party wouldn't even come out. That's, That's true. Like, That's man, a good you point. bet Dan Branch is like the cat who ate the canary. He's probably just sitting back <laughs> watching this all unfold. Told you. Yep. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I mean, none of you are going to want to answer this question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. You're going to answer it? Go. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask it anyway. You are going to answer it, Ross. Uh, I mean, do you look at these charges versus the Rick Perry charges, for example, and think that these have more merit, less merit, equal merit? I mean, is there any way to gauge these? Is, I, which one seems more serious than the other? I think on their face, the charges don't lend themselves to easy political or politicization or political ana analysis in some ways. I mean, with the Perry case, you know, it was involved a, a constitutional duty. It involved, um, you know, a Republican taking an action against a Democrat. I mean, all the factors were there for most political pundits to well, draw. Well, Perry, Perry, Perry's, Perry's, Perry's accused of doing an overtly political thing. Exactly. Illegally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... 
you know, whether or not it turns out to be illegal. I mean, most most of the analysts seem to, you know, I mean, there's plenty of argument about that. But everybody agrees that this was overtly political and that the reaction to it on Perry's behalf and against Perry has also been overtly political. The Paxton thing is a securities law business thing that has only has political overtones because of who he is. I think when you, you can boil down some of the Paxton charges, if you put it simply, okay, here's someone who is accused of going to um, friends, other possible investors, getting them to invest in a company while being compensated to doing that and not disclosing that. I mean, I feel like that's something that you know, perhaps the average person can can understand and just kind of raise an eyebrow at um, and and think about in a way that, you know, all the the securities fraud stuff does sound complicated and it's not the same as just you know something that has bribery or coercion of a public servant the way Governor Perry's did. But um, I think when you look at it just kind of at that baseline, there's something that feels a little bit ickier um, than kind of when you just throw everything into the political context the way you do you do with Governor Perry. I totally agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, you're looking at a case, I, again, like Morgan said, it, it's much easier to, to sort of understand what could be icky about, you know, somebody not disclosing their financial connections versus somebody overtly trying to get somebody out of office who, you know, had a serious drunken driving conviction and behaved terribly. You know, for the <laughs> to the people who if she Perry's, was. if Perry's guilty, it's not because you know it's it's probably because he made a mistake in the course of doing something that you might expect him to do as a governor anyway. Paxton is accused of lying to people to get them to make investments they wouldn't have otherwise made. Right. Right. And defrauding them of their money. That's the that's basically the allegation here. And you know, you're right. I mean, that one's. Uh, sounds a lot less technical and a lot more stinky. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was we had a, a sort of a text explainer looking at again if if he's convicted or you know if this ends up not in Paxton's favor, what that what that could mean. You know, one of the outcomes is he could be disbarred. But being disbarred alone would not necessarily kick you out of the AG's office because I didn't know this. Apparently, you don't have to right. be an attorney uh, to be mm-hmm. the attorney general. I could have had a V eight. I could have run. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so there are a lot of sort of interesting and confusing different ways this could go depending on how far he is into his term and everything else. So, I mean, how, how does this play out from here? So what are the just the, the next steps? Is this, this is like Rick Perry 2.0. We just sort of watch and wait for this to play out in the court. I think the next step is he'll formally enter his, his not guilty plea and we'll go from there. I mean, it's a little unclear what the, yeah. you know. Oh boy, his, his booking his, photo I mean, has you know, been the, the regular kind stuff of a is, flap. His, his lawyers <laughs> will um, question the indictments. You know, they'll decide, you know, we'll have some kind of a, uh, moment when we're deciding where the trial's going to mm-hmm. be held, you know, they'll either like it or ask for a change of venue. I bet on a political basis, they, you know, it would be easier if this had started in Travis County for a Republican. Collin County is overwhelmingly Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, the grand jury is from, you know, I mean, it's like he's on his home turf and he got indicted. Right. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have the pressure Perry had. When Perry was indicted a year ago, he was going into this presidential race and had political reasons to get this out of the way. Hadn't worked for him yet, but had political reasons to get this out of the way because he was going to be in front of voters. 
Paxton won't be in front of voters for a couple of three years, so he's got some time. I think politically Paxton is fine. <laughs> I mean, you can say what you want about where Perry currently is in the presidential process, but, but I don't. Stable, right? Yeah, and we're about to talk about. <laughs> but that. I don't think yeah. you can say that Perry is where he is right now because of the ongoing indictment against him, talking to voters and, and experts and everything. I don't think the indictment has held back Perry in a, in a material way. Well, let's talk about where Perry is, and that is not on the debate stage. Um, yeah. What happened this week? What are his polling numbers looking like? And how did he, as Ross said, end up at the <coughs> at the kids' table at Thanksgiving? Sure. So for this, this Fox News debate that's happening um, Thursday night in Cleveland, it was a primetime debate. To make it into the primetime debate, you had to qualify in a top 10 of an average of five recent national polls selected by the, the network. Uh, Perry did not make the cut. Where um, was he? He was in 11th place, basically. He Aww. was basically the news story as the guy who, uh, you know, barely just missed the cut. Yeah. Um, and so he will be participating in a kind of lower tier, non-primetime debate tomorrow, your Thursday evening in Cleveland. Um, you know, it's, I think it's a psychological blow to him. I mean, part of his campaign this time around is premised on the idea that he is more prepared and you know, theoretically, being more prepared extends the debate stage. And so this would, you know, the primetime debate would have been a, uh, a great opportunity for him to show off what he's been, you know, boasting about for the past several months. Although it's going to be pretty hard to show off on a, uh, on a stage with, what, are there 12 yeah. people on that stage? Uh, yeah. Well, there's 10, at least 10. 10. Yeah, I don't know what the, how it exactly boiled down. I think it's going to be exactly 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but now Perry deals with this kind of interesting set of expectations because he didn't make the primetime debate. He just barely missed it. So presumably he's considered kind of like the... Uh, uh, not the underdog of the right. lower tier the front debate. Runner of the lower tier <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, and, it's and interesting who's to see. in the lower tier debate? Is it just like him and Santorum? There's, and I think there's Carly Fiorina. Yeah, six and, other six other right. candidates. Right. Bobby Jindal, Lindsey Graham, uh, Jim yeah. Gilmore, Jim yeah. Gilmore. Right. Yeah, and wow. so we'll see. I mean, he's, I guess he is technically in polling the top candidate in the lower tier debate. So he, uh, none of his attacks on Donald Trump moved the needle, huh? Or maybe they moved the needle in the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, in some ways they may have elevated Trump. I mean, I mean that was always a political, a risky, not risky. There was some, there was some peril to what he did because he risked simply elevating Trump even more and de-elevating himself even, even farther down. Has Perry said anything about? Has there been a statement since he found out that he he tweeted didn't make right the cut? yesterday when the news broke and he said, "I'm looking forward to the 5 p.m. debate and having a serious exchange of ideas." Um, you know, I think there was a quote from his campaign manager in The New York Times saying that, you know, basically um, we didn't, you know, we weren't necessarily looking forward to the uh, the primetime debate in the first place. It could have been a circus or it will be a circus. Or maybe he's um, dodging so, a bullet. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so so, we'll so see. Griffin Perry, his son, had yeah. a tweet last night that was, uh, what channel is the debate on Thursday night? E or Bravo? I hope it doesn't interrupt Real Housewives. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Perry, Perry could definitely turn in a, a stellar performance in that early debate um, Thursday. But who's watching? Well, exactly. I think well, you're I still going to have honestly, a lot of reporters. Gonna watch either one watching of these. Either it's going to be highlight right. films. Right. And, and Perry has, an, a, a, you know, maybe an opportunity here if um, if he really outshines everybody else in debate number two. could be the story of whoever outshines in debate number one and whoever outshines in debate number two. Yeah. I mean, you know, he could still get back into the headlines. He has he, maybe he, something he can take to donors saying right. – look how much better I am at this than I was last time around. Right. He can also Practice sit on the round. sidelines and, and and throw rocks at the other debate. You, know, right. you should ask him this, ask him that. They ought to be talking about this. I it's bet it, he will. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah. strategically all the contrasts that he's been fine-tuning with his competitors have been with people who are largely in that primetime debate. So 
in terms of how he's going to contrast himself with Carly Fiorina, Lindsey Graham, and Bobby Jindal, those are actually three people he's been very friendly with. Um, it'll be interesting to see. All about um, the hair. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, well, what is the latest with Cruz? I mean, where is he polling right now? How high up is he in the Cruz, I think, is he, 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 in recent days, has been ticking upward in national polling to the point that I think he got the, the number six spot in the, the top ten debate, the primetime debate. Um, which I think is probably a little higher than some people expected him. I think he was kind of eighth, ninth for a while. Um, and so I think he's in a, in a strong position right now, both nationally and in early voting states. He's kind of in that position of being invisible in the middle of the pack. You know, you're waiting for the mm-hmm. pack to thin out, and, you know, you're not taking arrows because you're not Donald Trump, mm-hmm. but you're not taking arrows because you're not Rick Perry. Well, and he's yeah. been very cautious, you know, not to criticize Donald Trump and to be, you know, <laughs> I mean, Rick Perry really took this gamble that being the guy who came out against Donald Trump would make him the guy that Republicans were like, oh, this, you know, he's brave. He's not going to mm-hmm. sit around. truth to power, right? Yeah. And then everybody Speaks just, truth to headlines. Yeah. Anyway, then everybody just started casting their ballots for Donald Trump. <laughs> and now uh, Ted Cruz is sitting pretty. I mean, are his, has he been on the upswing? Is he doing better than folks thought he was going to be doing? I think he's, he's been gradually helped over the past several weeks by just the escalating confrontations with congressional leaders, this kind of Washington cartel meme that he's, con, you know, picked up in some ways. And, um, you know, I think he's that's really consolidated his support on the right and proved to a lot of people why they loved him in the first place. Right. Well, meanwhile, the governor's office is defending its use of vetoes to the state budget that the legislative budget board, the LBB, are saying uh, were not kosher. Uh, Ross, what has Abbott been saying in the last week? What is the latest case that he's making? The the memo wars. Um, so the right. they keep going around <laughs> right. and around. It's almost as exciting as the Paxton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting inside fight because the you know there's a technical fight that's not as interesting, but unless you're a total nerd. Um, so I'll confess to that, that basically is where does the governor's power start or stop and where does the legislator's, legislature's power start or stop when it comes to the budget? And an issue here is whether certain items in the budget that the legislature calls descriptive can be vetoed by the governor and whether that actually vetoes an appropriation. So quick example, there's this $200,000 appropriation for a maritime museum, and they struck an item that said – from the amounts appropriated above, please, uh, Del Mar College should spend $200,000 on a maritime museum. And there's a bunch of stuff wrong with that. We had a really great story. Uh, the with, first with, part with, being that nobody wants the maritime college. Right, right. Which, you know, the first start, it starts with uh, Del Mar College doesn't have a maritime museum. <laughs> Nor <laughs> does it want and, one. And they didn't, didn't know, know about this until it got there. But all of that aside, if you knock out the item that says out of the funds above, this much should go to X, did you veto money from the funds above or did you just veto the direction of where that money should go? Because the number above is still there, still includes $200,000. Delmar College could theoretically come in and say, hey, we want to use it for our liberal arts program instead. And that would then fall to the controller's office to decide whether to write them a check or not. So that's the technical fight. Can the legislature effectively protect certain appropriations from the governor's veto pen. That's the technical fight. The political fight here is whether the governor or the legislature has the final say on what's in the budget. And the Legislative Budget Board, which is a legislative agency co-chaired by the speaker and the lieutenant governor, uh, wrote a memo to the controller a couple of weeks ago now that got a um, nasty and quick response from the governor's office. They called them unelected bureaucrats and said they're trying to cut our power. Um, but they made their argument on this. 
the governor's office has now sent a 62-page memo, 29 pages plus attachments, to the controller's office in response to this. It's not at all clear how this gets resolved. So they sent all of their stuff, they sent all of their arguments to the controller. The controller has the power to decide which checks he's going to write and which checks he's not going to write. But, you know, somewhere in here, push comes to shove. So a lot of people are watching a case involving a building in San Antonio called the G.J. Sutton Building that uh, Abbott vetoed here. The city of San Antonio really wanted some Democrats led by Trey Martinez Fisher, a state representative from San Antonio, are urging the city to sue the state to fund that project and to bring this to court so that the courts can decide whether the governor or the legislature has this power. And meanwhile, we have Dan Patrick calling for an inquiry into certain legislative agencies that he, in theory, oversees, right? Right. He jumped in with the governor. He said, you know, this is outrageous, and, you know, I didn't want this memo to be sent. It turns out that he might not have wanted this memo to be sent, but his staff did. Right. Because they (laughs) approved it and read it and said, go ahead and send it. Um, But, you know, the lieutenant governor is new to his office and the heads of all the legislative agencies, which is the Legislative Budget Board, the Legislative Audit Board, the Legislative Reference Library, Texas Legislative Council. uh, There's a couple more. um, We're all named by David Dewhurst and by Joe Strauss. Dan Patrick would like to have some of that control and LBB is a powerful office to have some influence over. Well, speaking of Dan Patrick, the latest uh, lob from him this morning is in regards to these um, Planned Parenthood videos that this undercover group has been taking. There's now the latest undercover video is from a Houston facility, Planned Parenthood, Gulf Coast. Uh, Morgan, what I know you've watched, I think, most of this video. What are we seeing out of the out of the Houston case and what's the response been politically here? So you have, and this came out um, yesterday. Um, but Tuesday is where we're or, talking or t- now. Yep. Yes, correct, Tuesday. And um, you have, it's similar to the video that came out, the initial video that was released um, out of California, but it's, it's a little bit different in that um, you have, it's also highly edited. You also have kind of clips sitting in the office. Then, you know, over lunch, apparently these meetings can last quite a long time, it seems. Um, but There's you more drinking at lunch than I knew. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. My it looks right. like they're having Thai food, I think, at this one. There's no alcohol in this one. Um, but um, it's the same type of discussion where you have, um, you know, undercover people who went in um, wanting to broker some kind of deal to get uh, fetal tissue for research. And you have kind of lots of questions about, okay, well, which organs can I can I get or how can um, you know, how old are they going to how old are the fet- the fetuses that we're going to receive? How carefully going can to be, you like get them out? Yeah, so can you, that you don't damage the can organs? Can you modify the procedure if I want certain organs? And it's all um, there. And also the other kind of complicated part of this is that this this Planned Parenthood clinic says that it has not participated in this fetal donation since 2011. So it's in this video was taken in April. So it's unclear if this is something that they were thinking about pursuing because they're 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 talking about they're talking about a potential transaction. But um, you you can't from the video you can't really tell uh, what the specifics of it are. So there's an HHSC investigation. There's an AG's office investigation. Senate Health and Human Services has held hearings. Dan Patrick has asked you know the Harris County DA's office to look into it. 
it's yeah. still unclear to me whether there's I mean, it is not illegal at the present time for, you know, fetal tissue used, you know, that that's the byproduct of abortions to be used for medical research. I just think the, the big broad question here is just how long can Planned Parenthood, at least in Texas, weather this? Because regardless of the facts, regardless in some ways of even what the law says, you have the full force of statewide leadership completely working against you with, uh, you know, a fresh new reason to, to, to oppose, you know, what you do on a, on a very broad scale. But there's nothing left they can take away from them. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're trying to find out. You know, the, the, <laughs> well, they, unless you know, they yeah. put them out of business by, you know, some kind of criminal so the criminal, the criminal allegation here is that they're profiting from right. the sale of fetal tissue, and that's not uh, proven or really even completely asserted here, although that's why Patrick is asking for a criminal investigation in Harris County. Right. These they, clinics they say they've that. been covering their expenses, basically, right. although you see them sort of negotiating on what constitutes covering the expenses of, of you know, procuring the, the yeah, tissue and, and getting right. it to them. There's some discussion in this video of, you know, well, how— Obviously, if it's a if it's a full uh, fetus cadaver, is what they call it, um, you know, we would like to compensate you more for that. And then the response is, well, you know, that's a more complicated procedure, so that there would be a higher reimbursement for that. There's some kind of back and forth like that. And, right. Um, right. But you know, in none of these videos have we seen things like, you know, uh, it's going to be thousands of. Do- well, you pay us thousands of dollars, and we'll give you this. It's like right. in some of the videos, it's like, well, that would cr- require a reimbursement rate of seventy dollars, or maybe a hundred, right. up to a hundred dollars in that case, or forty dollars for, you know, it's hard to sort of envision them making major profits off of this. Patrick's but, right, though. As long as this is in the headlines, it's bad for Planned Parenthood. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, or maybe it's the reverse, which is that, you know, Planned Parenthood can fundraise off of this because, you know, they are, again, under attack, you know, nationally. Cecile Richards has been making a lot of pitches in the last couple of weeks. I think the question is whether the sort of ick factor, we've been talking about the ick factor <laughs> a lot today, whether the sort of, you know, discomfort with this concept that I think a lot of people a lot of people didn't understand was happening. I don't think most most people knew that in the abortion process there were these there was fetal tissue donation. And I think people feel of two minds about it. I think some people feel grossed out about it. I think other people think, well, if there's going to be an abortion, at least, you know, those organs are being put to good use. So kind of hard to hard to tell at this point whether it's good or bad for Planned Parenthood in the long run. So. <clears throat> and I'm losing my voice, so we better wrap <laughs> better up the Tribcast. Uh, if you have questions or comments, you can email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. We'd also love to invite you to the fifth annual Texas Tribune Festival, October 16th through 18th on the UT Austin campus. Registration is now open at texastribune.org festival. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Ross, Morgan, Patrick, and our producer Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Ooh, that Texas talking. Texas talking. I still don't know why people listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, they all do. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs>